are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, could I tell you that you look absolutely awesome out there today? You know, eight and a half years ago, my wife Annette and I, we moved here from Cincinnati to Oklahoma City to be a part of this church and to be a part of this community. And I remember really well early on in those first several months, I would meet up with people and they would say to me, hey, how are you guys doing? Are you doing okay? I mean, you've kind of moved across the country. Do you like Oklahoma City? Do you like living here? Are you adjusting? Are you doing all right? And I remember saying to lots of people over those first several months, you know what it feels like to me? It feels like we have come home. Now, you, you might protest and say, hey, you weren't raised here, you didn't grow up here, and, and I get it. Um, it's kind of like the guy who said, I'm not from Oklahoma, but I got here as quick as I could. So give me some credit, would you? But you and I have this idea in our minds about what it is to come home. And we all know what it's like to go somewhere for the very first time and to fill in our hearts or to say to a friend, it kind of feels like, I know it sounds strange, but it feels like I've come home. It's not about the place. It's about feeling loved. And it's about feeling like you belong. I loved watching Serge and Emily's story with you a few minutes ago. And I listened to them say things like, it has changed our lives. It's changed our relationship with one another. It's changed our relationships with our kids. It's changed our kids' future. We feel like that we're surrounded by great people. We're part of a community. We have found God. I think even though they had never been to our church before, coming to Bethany First Church for Serge and Emily was like coming home, coming to light and coming to life. So I'm going to hang around there with you for a little while this morning in a conversation about coming home home to light in life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a picture on the screen, and I want you to tell me who painted this painting. Just say it really loud to me, okay? Your best guess. Thomas Kincaid is right. So Kincaid is known as the painter of light or the artist of light. And although there's a lot about his personal life, we struggle to understand he always left the lights on. Let me show you in the next picture. He believed his goal and mission was to share the light. And so there's always lights on inside. It always makes you think somebody is home, and the lights seem to beckon us to want to come in as well, maybe almost calling us home. Now, let me remind you of something about Jesus in regard to light. Jesus defines himself. You ever tried to define yourself? Let me take a stab at it, okay? I'm about six feet tall, kind of a muscular build. I got great hair and a good smile. You're saying, Rick, you're describing yourself in your dreams, by the way. That's not the same as defining yourself. So defining yourself is talking about your very nature. And so Jesus defines himself, and here's what he says. I am the light of the world. When John talks about Jesus, he says, in him was life, and the life that was in Jesus is the light of all mankind. I mean, think about this. Light and life. I've come to be okay with some things about myself, and I'm just saying that's the way that I am. 
And one of the things that I'm coming to be okay with is the fact that I like to talk about my grandchild. Her name is Sadie. I love to say her name. And I love it when she says my name. I love it when she looks at me and she says, I love you, Ricky. Or when her mother says to her, Sadie, who are you sitting by? And Sadie says, my Ricky. You know what? When my girls were little, my daughters, I used to think about their future. In fact, I used to dream about their future. I used to dream about what I envisioned for their future and everything I wanted for them to have in their lives. You know what I dream about now? I dream about Sadie's future. (laughs) And I dream about all the things that I envision her having in her life. It's getting ready to get real. Hang on. You ready for this? Do you know what Jesus dreams about? The Word of God tells me that Jesus dreams about your future. He dreams about all that He envisions for your life. And the Bible is very specific about what Jesus dreams about for you. Jesus dreams that you can have life and have life to the full. Now, what does that mean? Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the New Testament called The Message, says Jesus is talking about more and better life than you have ever come to dream of. In fact, here we are in this season of Advent, trying to identify with people who are longing and waiting for the coming of Jesus into the world. And when Jesus finally comes, He says clearly why He's come. And this is why He came, according to the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus says, I came into the world so you could have more and better life than you have ever dreamed of. So let me take you to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. So this is an all skate, okay? Everybody's involved. When I get to the words that are highlighted, I want you to read them instead of me. Are you ready? And I want you to do it with energy. In Him was, now that was energy. I love that. And that was the, of all mankind. The light, oh, I blew it for you, my bad. Do it again, the shines in the darkness, and this is really good news, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John writing about John the Baptist, by the way. He came as a witness. John, are you the light? No, I'm a witness to testify concerning that, that through him all might believe. He himself was not the He came only as a witness to the, you're running out of gas, the true that gives to everyone was coming into the world. A few years ago, I really became fond of listening to a preacher. His name was Mike Bro. He pastored a large church just outside of Lexington, Kentucky, and well, I don't know if you know it or not, but I was raised in a, and I thought I might like this guy from Kentucky. And so, um, he told a story once that has had a profound impact on me in this conversation about light and darkness. He said, when my daughter Jody graduated from high school, she said to me, Dad, I've made a decision. And the decision is that I don't want to go to college in the fall. Instead, I want to go to Haiti. And I want to spend a year of my life working in a medical mission there. And Mike said, those were hard words for me to hear. And I said to Jody, I said, Jody, 
you, you realize that Haiti is 3,000 miles away. And she goes, I, I know. You, you realize that Haiti is like the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, Dad, I know. Well, you realize that the whole country is controlled by the voodoo religion, don't you? I know, Dad. But I think God wants me to go. And who knows, maybe if I go, I could help some people. And he said the hardest thing for me to do was to put my Jody on the plane and watch it lift her and carry her off to Haiti. We waited for emails from Jody to see how she was doing. He says, I remember one email I got from Jody. She said, Dad, I've had the most remarkable night I've ever had in my life. I was at the mission station, but I was the only one there. Everybody else was out helping people. And we got a call that there was a lady in a nearby village trying to give birth to a baby, but she was in distress. I was the only one to go, and I knew I wasn't adequate, but I could do something maybe. She said, when I walked into that hut, laying on the floor, is this lady screaming and naked and in distress, trying to give birth. But, Dad, what made it worse was that a witch doctor, a voodoo witch doctor, came into the hut and began to walk around us chanting some kind of voodoo stuff. I have no idea what she was saying. And then she stops and she puts some kind of salve on the lady's belly. And then she puts something on the lady's head. And then she just stopped and stood at the head of the lady. And she just stared at me as I'm trying to assist her to deliver this baby. And I was afraid and I didn't know what to do. And she wouldn't stop staring and glaring at me. And finally, Dad, I just started to sing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with power and wisdom and love. Our God is an awesome God. And she said, Dad, that voodoo lady went nuts. And she grabbed all of her stuff and she ran out of the hut yelling and screaming something. And as that little baby I held in my hands, I realized it was born into a world of light and not under the curse of Satan. And Mike Bro said, I'm reading that email and I'm thinking to myself as a dad, what are you doing in a hut with a voodoo woman and a naked lady screaming, get on a plane and get home? My little neighbor SJ was here last night. And he said, Mommy, Pastor Rick said naked three times. And Mike Bro said, the other part of me as a brother in Christ said, way to go, Sadie. Or rather, way to go, Jody. Way to shine light in a world that's full of darkness. See, that, that, story, that story talks to me about the darkness in our world, but it speaks louder to me about the fact that the light cannot be overcome by the darkness. So, so if you open your Bible to the New Testament and you begin to read, you'll find the word darkness many times, but it is used figuratively to talk about evil or to talk about sin or to talk about wickedness. In fact, there's this, there's this verse, I'm going to quote it, but every time I quote it, it's like the hair sometimes wants to stand up on the back of the, my neck, and, and I feel awkward when I say it, but it's, it's from Paul, and he says, for we are in a struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this 
dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. Doesn't it do something to you when you hear that? But also, when you read the New Testament and you find the word light, it is used figuratively to talk about what is good and what is pure and to talk about God. In fact, John later says in an epistle this about God and light. He says, God is light. And in God, there is no darkness, zero, no darkness at all. And so I want to live in God's light, don't you? I want to just find myself living in the light of God. I just want God's light to be shining down on me. I want to live in a place where it's pure and where there's not shame and where there's not guilt, where there's just life and there's just love, and I just feel the presence of God, and I feel close to God. I just want to live in the light of God. But you know, there was a season in my life when I did not want God's light. In fact, it was a season of my life when I lived in darkness. Here's why. I wanted to do what I wanted to do more than I wanted to feel close to God. I'll say it again. The reason I was in the darkness was because I wanted to do what I wanted to do more than I wanted to feel close to God. But I remember when God just drew me into His light. And it was awesome. It was incredible. And I never wanted again to be out of the light of God. I just could not imagine living in the darkness anymore. I just wanted to be in God's light. You might say, Rick, why would somebody choose to live out here in the dark when they could live in God's light? Why would you just choose the darkness instead of being here in the light of God? And so what John does is he explains that to us in chapter 3, and he says, Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. People said, I want to do what I want to do more than I want to be and feel close to God. So I'm going to be frank with you. Here's the truth. Sometimes people choose darkness. It's a true story. I want to do what I want to do more than I want to feel close to God. There's another side of this story, and I think we have to talk about it. Sometimes people choose darkness, but there are other times when people find themselves in a very dark season in their lives that they did not choose. You hearing me? Sometimes people find themselves in a very dark season of their lives that they did not choose. Rick, do you have an example? The coronavirus. We didn't choose this. And God is not the author of sickness. This is the work of the enemy. He wants to hurt you. The truth is he wants to destroy you. And there are people who have lost people they love to this virus. We have had four deaths in our church. We have other people in our church today who are fighting for their lives. Last night, as I'm walking out the door, they just took my mom, someone said, Pastor Rick, to the ER. 
And just this morning, I got another text saying they've just taken a good friend of mine to the ER. And there are other people who are suffering. And there are people who are living in isolation and have been for nine months. And if the virus doesn't kill them, the isolation will. And marriages are struggling. And families are struggling. And we know the effects it's having on our kids by not being able to be in school. There are other times when we find ourselves in very dark seasons that we didn't choose. Because the enemy is trying to hurt you. You say, Rick, is there hope? I mean, the darkness seems so dark. Oh, there is hope. And the hope is here. And the hope is in the words that I read you just a few moments ago. Where John says, light has come, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness has not figured it out. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot extinguish it, and the darkness cannot put it out. Listen to me. Jesus dreams about your future and all that he thinks about and all that he envisions for you. And the darkness has no power over you, and it has no power over me. That's the good news. Now, let's get there, okay? Let's think about it this way for a few minutes. I, I, I love our Christmas Eve service. We, we have it and we love it so much that we actually do it the day before Christmas Eve and on Christmas Eve. So the day before, we'll meet together at 7 o'clock. And on Christmas Eve, we'll meet at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. And you and I will invite all kinds of friends. And many people will get to watch it online. But it'll be awesome. At the end of the service, we will do what we do every year and that many churches do. There will be one candle in the room. And we will move forward toward it, and we will light our candles. And then we will share the light until the light is spread all over the room. And then at the end of that one Christmas carol, we will raise our candles into the air, and the light of the candles will fill this place. I love it. Somebody said to me, why do we put lights on our houses at Christmas? And why do we put lights on our Christmas trees? And why do we put lights on everything? Because in this season of Advent, as we are longing and waiting, and as we move toward Christmas, we put lights everywhere because John said in Jesus was this life, and this life is the light for everybody. Now, you might be saying, help me connect light and life, okay? Okay, let's go to class. You ready? We'll go to Greek just for a few moments, and we'll just do a short lesson. So if you look up the word in the Greek New Testament, which the New Testament was written, Greek and Aramaic, compiled in Greek. So if you look up the word life, you'll find different words. One is bios, which means biological life, a living organism. I am biologically alive. The tree outside the window is biologically alive. When John says, in him was life, he did not use the word bios. He used a different word. The word he used is zoe, which means abundant and full life, more and better life than you could ever dream of, life that is like light. How do you get there? John says, I'm not the light. I'm a witness to the light so that people can what? Believe. So I must put my faith in him. I must trust him. It's what happened with Serge and Emily. I, I love this part of their story. 
Emily said, coming to church, I was excited, but I was nervous because I was so broken. And I was afraid they would see it. And Serge said, I didn't know if I would fit. Maybe because of past decisions and choices I'd made. And as hard as it was, they took the step and they came. It might be that you have to take a step today. A step that says, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I've watched people all of my life say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to forgive me of this sin and to make me right with God. I'm going to put my trust in you that you're going to get me to heaven one day. I'm going to put my trust in you, Jesus. I believe in you that you can do this for me. And I've watched God fill them with light in life. And I've watched people going through really, really difficult situations. I'm talking about painful situations. Dark seasons of life. Grief. Suffering. Pain. And last night I stood right there in that aisle with a young woman who has gone through so much grief. And I said to her, but I've watched you Confess with your mouth, Jesus, I still believe in you. I still trust you. I still love you, and I'm going to still follow you, and I'm watching God restore life in you right now. So I've been thinking a ton about the history of our church as we've moved through this project. It's like you can't help it. And I was reminded a few weeks ago by my friend Dave Roberts that we had a pastor whose name was Ponder Gilliland, maybe, what, 30-some, 40 years ago? His daughters, Marsha and Sherry, sit right over there last night. And he would have the choir sing this song, all your, all your burdens, all your cares, bring them to the mercy seat, leave them there. And Ponder would stand right here where I'm standing, and he would, he would say to the congregation, would you hold your hands out like this? And so would you do it for me now? Would you hold your hands out, everybody, like this? If you're at home in your living room or sitting on your couch or at your kitchen table, would you just hold your hands out like this? And Dr. Gilliland would say, I want you to imagine all of your worries, your problems. Just imagine them in your hands. This is where we're living today, your anxieties. Your fears, they're all there, right? You got them in your hands. So you're, you're dealing with something different than the person sitting beside you is dealing with. Could I add sin to the list? Just put it right there. And Dr. Gillen would say, now just turn your hands over and just leave all of that here. Just leave it all here. Don't walk out those doors with a dark cloud hanging over you. Just leave it all here. Father, I believe right now in Jesus' name that you are forgiving someone of their sins. You are filling them with light and with life. 
And I believe in Jesus' name that you are coming near someone who is in a difficult season of their life. And in this moment, and it may be with tear-filled eyes, they are saying, Lord, I still believe in you. And I still trust you. And I still love you. And I'm still going to follow you. And you are restoring life right now. Thank you for everything you're doing in our hearts in this moment. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.